Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 135 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. As we approach winter here at the Norfolk Honey Company, my thoughts are turning to next season and how we can grow and improve all aspects of our beekeeping. Stay tuned for my latest update and thoughts for next year. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Welcome back to the podcast. It's that time of year again where we move gently from autumn into winter. December is just a short hop and a skip away, and before you know it, we'll be into the start of a new year and racing towards the new season. It's the time of year when we try, particularly here, to start on workshop jobs, cleaning, repairing and maintenance. I always try to fulfil that promise that I make to myself to get all of the dirty work sorted before the start of the new year, but there always seems to be something that pops up and distracts me. As you know, I'm easily distracted. This year has been a couple of distractions. Firstly, I'm working on a new product, which we should hopefully have available in a couple of weeks. And I'll share more of that once I'm set for the market. But to be honest, it's not a real big secret. But I do find that the more people I share my thoughts with on new projects, the less focused I seem to be on them. It's like the drive and enthusiasm gets drained from me the more I share the idea. With that in mind, I'm going to move quickly on before I get carried away and spill the beans. The other major distraction is my planning for next year. I'm taking a major step towards moving over to Langstroth hives, particularly the honey poor poly Langstroth hives, and that's kept me distracted for quite a while over the past few weeks. Before I get into the detail of my plans for next year, I wanted to give you a roundup of how things have been here at Basecamp. Of course, that means a weather check first and foremost. Well, it's been another wet, windy, and mild period. We've had some clear evenings notably around fireworks night, the 5th of November, and this is obviously time for my weekly whinge. Well, maybe they're not quite weekly, but anyway, it's a bit of a whinge anyway. And I hope that I'm not a regular complainer, but some things just get me a little wound up. I live in a fairly heavily populated residential area here in Norwich, and the size of the fireworks being bought and launched would be perfectly at home at the New Year's celebrations in central London. They're massive, huge chrysanthemum rockets that fill the sky, explosions that rock the house, and we had a rocket stick land in our back garden, and I swear it was so big, I thought it was one of the fence posts that had blown down. Seriously though, it seems the days of a small selection box of tiny little fireworks for a family of four that get lit at the bottom of the garden and barely get more than three feet off the floor are long gone. And how on earth do people afford such huge fireworks? They must cost a fortune. Anyway, suffice to say, I grabbed my coat and a mug of coffee and sat in the back garden watching someone else's fireworks for a short while before heading back inside to catch up on more beekeeping websites and dream about what other bits of kit I couldn't afford. Talking of which, I've spent a few weeks now planning and pondering what I might do next year to move the business forward. Not just making the business bigger, 
Not just banging in more beehives and putting myself under time pressures and stress though. I love beekeeping and I want to make sure I continue to get as much fun out of it at the same time as building the business. I don't want to leap to hundreds of hives and lose control of harm dealing with the routine of inspections and management of the apiaries and the hives within. With that in mind, I've settled on a few ideas that I hope to see through from drawing board to being put in place that will tick all of those boxes. It does mean having to restructure some of our practices, but I'll come on to that in a bit. It's really important to me to maintain healthy colonies. This means we continue to cull the very weak or diseased colonies. I'm particularly mindful of the chronic bee paralysis virus and the colonies we've had to destroy so far. Doing this, though, has allowed me some control over any spread and hopefully will continue to manage this successfully. Regular checks through the winter to identify any colonies that may be dead outs is really important and that will reduce the risk of any cross-contamination between hives where large healthy colonies discover the dead ones and then set about robbing them out, taking all the stores and of course any diseases with them back to their own hives and thus spreading the diseases. The single biggest change I'm going to make is a commitment to the Langstroth hive. We have, over the years, created something of a challenge for ourselves by introducing lots of different hive combinations, mainly to demonstrate on YouTube and the Patreon platforms, but it leads to a situation where frame combinations just don't work and extraction and honey production elements vary so much it just makes for more work. I've mentioned it before but any additional growth I now put in will be just the honey poor Langstroth hives. I've ordered another 25 hives and additional boxes from Paul at Modern Beekeeping and that will populate a couple of new apiary sites that I've been offered. That should move us up to around 150 total colonies next season, which will be manageable for me under our current inspection regime. I'm not yet ready to move away from weekly full inspections, so it will be labour intensive for that swarm period, but should calm down for the summer flow. The spring crop for me here is vitally important, probably more so than the summer flow. Although there have been rumblings about oilseed rape not being planted in as much quantity, we're still able to get our bees onto it. And again, although we're not getting skyscraper colonies packing away massive crops, it does still provide us with a decent amount of honey. With that in mind, we need to make sure our colonies are in tip-top condition when the oilseed rape is in full flower and needs pollination. Looking back at the data from this year, the oilseed rape was in full flower by mid-April. This leading to the perfect storm of growing colonies preparing to swarm and a nectar flow filling boxes and reducing space for the queen to lay into. So this is where careful management is required. And it's an area that I really want to focus on for next season. I want to have large colonies ready to take advantage of the flow and also do my best to prevent too many swarms. I'm going to try a couple of options to see if we can get our management of this situation to be in tune with what the bees want to do. Firstly, I'm going to clip queens again. This worked really well for me last season with the vast majority of colonies with clipped queens being managed or where a colony did get away from me, I was able to make splits and recover the clipped queen into a nuke box. 
we had very few actual lost swarms with flying queens and I think a honey crop benefited because of this and for me honey equals money. Clipping queens is simple enough and we'll perform this task during our initial inspections in late March. The next part of the plan is to double up on brood boxes with colonies that have queens I want to manage. By this I mean if we have a colony that's got a rather grumpy queen, I'll look to requeen them later in the spring, but to start with I'll move her into a nuke box with just her flying bees. So for example, I'll take the queen out of the brood box and pop her in a cage. Next, I'll open up another colony in the same apiary and unite the now queenless brood box with the queen right colony using the newspaper method. The queen in the cage will go into a nuke box with a frame of her emerging brood and as many frames of food as I can grab from her original brood box. There's likely to be some old frames that need replacing, so I'll use this as an opportunity to do this here as well. Most of my nuke boxes are five or six frame nukes, with the exception of the honeypore nukes, which are four frame. The original box, that's now being united with the other colony, will be topped up with frames of foundation and closed down. This will have a couple of effects on both colonies. Firstly, the queen and the nuke will have a reduced workforce and remain in the nuke rebuilding a spring colony, probably with a frame or two of foundation if there isn't enough frames of food to fill the box. If it's heaving, I'll maybe move her into a full-size hive rather than a nuke box in an artificial swarm kind of way. The queenright colony will now have a second brood box above a queen excluder with several frames of brood that will increase the overall size of that colony and hopefully see honey production increase. Once they've been united, I'll go back in and swap around brood frames so that all of the brood frames are in the bottom box, hopefully filling the box and giving the queen plenty of room to lay in as I've removed all of the frames of food into the top box. Additional boxes can then go on to be filled or drawn as the spring flow begins and with any luck we'll get boxes and boxes of honey. I'll need to tweak my plan a little, but I think it might give me the strength of colony that can maximise its foraging potential for that spring flow. The honey pour apiary sites will gradually be converted to deep boxes only. I want to rationalise the type of boxes that I use, and I want to try just one size box for these hives. Now I know this is definitely going to cause some weight issues, these Langstroth boxes can weigh a lot when they're full of honey, so I'm hoping by the time we get to extraction time in the spring, I'll have some kind of lifting device fitted to the truck. I've approached a couple of UK-based companies that make cranes, and whilst they don't have anything specifically for lifting beehives, they do have some kit that might make the grade. I just can't afford to buy a purpose-built hive crane from the usual suppliers right now. The other plan is to try an apiary without queen excluders. This is nothing new, I realise, but it's not something that I've ever done before, so I'm both excited and a little nervous to try it. I was chatting to our Patreon Coaching Plus group on Zoom this week, and it came up as a topic, so I'm not the only one thinking about it, it seems. Imagine if it works and I no longer need to fork out hard cash for queen excluders. I'll save a small fortune. That, of course, is a long way in the future, and for now, I'm still trying to get my head around where the queen will have her brood nest and how that will impact on my management of the beehives. 
I'm planning on starting with a double brood setup and I'll add brood boxes above for any honey crop. I'm unsure as to whether they'll just chimney straight up the middle of however many boxes I put on, or maybe they'll sit happily somewhere between two boxes. I'm sure it will need some movement of frames between boxes when it comes to any honey crop, but it will be a fun experiment and one I'll record on video to show how we get on. I'm really excited to see how the new queens we have perform over winter. I should rather say how the colonies perform, but I was at one of the apiaries yesterday and took the opportunity to lift the roof on a couple of the honeypoor hives. I'm really starting to see the benefit of clear cover boards. No need to disturb the bees, a quick look, and you can see exactly what's happening. It wasn't cold yesterday, to be fair, so the bees weren't yet clustered, and each box had bees across all seams between the frames. It's a lovely sight at this time of the year, full boxes of healthy bees and plenty of food for them to live off. I'll probably pop back and take a photograph or two and then revisit them every few weeks and keep taking pictures so I can show you what's going on as the winter months go by. Finally, I mentioned the Zoom meeting earlier. It was my first attempt at hosting a Zoom meeting and I think it went quite well. We did have one question from Rachel Stone in Australia who was asking about information from publications rather than just the kind of information that you pick up as hearsay at the local bee club and I offered a couple of solutions that I wanted to just share here. Firstly, you can go on to Google Scholar. Google Scholar is a fantastic portal that if you type in a search reference such as Varroa treatments it'll pull up lots of scientific peer-reviewed publications that you can usually get into and read as long as they've been published as a PDF. The other website that I would recommend is IBRA, the International Bee Research Association. It's a fantastic website and if you sign up there, it'll give you access to all of the recently published beekeeping science papers as well as those that have been published previously. We had lots of really great questions and although I managed to forget to allow a couple of people access, I think it was good fun. I'm definitely going to host more and to help me manage the event I think I'll have a co-host next time set up to keep an eye on what's going on. If you'd like to join in the fun, simply head over to my Patreon page and check out the login requirements. I'll be posting details of my next meeting in the coming weeks. As usual, links to all the relevant information will be in the podcast notes. But that's it for this week. We'll catch up again next week. But until then, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Bye.